0: Isaiah chapter 42, we'll begin in verse 14, but since we don't have a lot of verses, I thought I would take the time to uh, introduce uh, a little extra time to introduce what we have before us. Religious failure is what we're going to discover in this passage. Uh, Maybe you've heard Christians say, I'm not religious, but I have a relationship with Christ. In answer to someone that uh, thinks that Christians are this religious entity. And I think that uh, that's true in contrast to those who have religion without Christ. But we have religion. There's no getting around that. The New Testament reminds us, James chapter 1, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And so while our emphasis is not on ritual. We most certainly have a system of beliefs. And the question might arise for us at times, why do religions, true and false religions, so often fail? Why do denominations of the true faith sometimes fail? I think the answer is very simple. It's right in the Scripture. When men are no longer listening to God, they're going to fail. Even if they're going through uh, religious steps, have a religious system. When men are not repenting of their sin, and of course I mean men and women, people, then there's going to be religious failure. This is what the prophets were dealing with all the time, in multiple generations. It has everything to do with us. It is not about just them. As the old song, he was talking to the hypocrites and Pharisees and everybody else but me, which is, of course, lampooning that wrongful behavior of thinking that Jesus was only rebuking people back then. Leaders in churches and the people that attend the churches today, as has been through the ages, are tolerating the sins of each other. Now, there's a difference between tolerating sin and being gracious and dealing with sin. We're not looking to shoot our own wounded, but uh, at the same time, we don't wink at sin because God doesn't. And the cross of Christ is that emblem that it costs blood to deal with this, the blood of the Son of God. And God, uh, you know, is dealing with people who are intolerant of his will, but tolerant of sin. And that's where your religious failure is going to come from. When Paul the Apostle reached Athens, he noticed that they were very religious people. In Acts chapter 17, he says to them, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. They had a God for everything. And of course, he wanted to share with them the gospel, the, the good news. The good news is that there's bad news, but there's a solution. Why do people think that half-true religion is somehow acceptable to a holy God? That's what's happening in this. When we get past the first paragraph, we get into that. When I get to my text, beginning in verse 14, we're still attached to the faithful servant. But then we are going to deal with the failed religious people there in Judah. Now, religion on man's terms has been a problem since the days of Cain. And if you don't know who Cain is, you do yourself well if you study up on him. It is a problem, the religion of man, that has been around again since the days of Cain. And Cain, of course, was the first son of Adam. He and Abel, sons of Adam. And uh, it is a problem because sinners are setting the terms. And there begins the fall. You have fallen men with sinners, people who don't get it right, people who hurt other people and hurt themselves and disobey God. You have them setting the terms of who God is and how to approach him and what life is all about. And this is why the religion of man has been such a problem since the days of Cain. Cain did exactly that. He knew what he was supposed to do, but he opted out. He brings a fruit basket to God, the work of his own hands, and he wants God to applaud it, contrary to what God wanted, which was the blood sacrifice that expressed the damage sin has done. And God's religion is entirely different. The sinless God reaching for fallen man, undeserving man, but man doesn't like that. Man in the flesh, when we are born again, we love that the Lord wants us in spite of, and not only do we have a lot of baggage, we've got some carry-ons too. And God does not dismiss us. He invites us. He seeks us. He says it right out. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And we get that. That God revealing himself to man versus man theorizing about God. We we get that, and hopefully we get a chance to share that. And we have to learn. The more you get to share your faith, the better at it you get. If you're dependent upon the Lord. Now, verse 14, so everything I just said about religion, we're going to find after we get past verse 17, but let's tie back in, because last session we spoke about the unfailing servant. There are two servants we mentioned last session. There is the Messiah, which is the incarnate God. God come as a man. He remains 100% God when he takes on humanity. He does not give up his deity. And so you have the Christ, the faithful servant, and then you have Israel, who was supposed to be a servant also. And, of course, uh, they did not perform well, and neither does the church, and we'll get to that. So looking at verse 14, actually let's go to verse 13 first of Isaiah 42. Looking at verse 13 to get the context, Isaiah, at this point in Isaiah 42, burst out into this song celebrating the This faithful servant of God, he says, The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out, yes, shout aloud. He shall prevail against his enemies. This is the same God that earlier he said, A uh, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. He's very gentle. He's waiting for things to play out. However, the time comes when he acts. And his enemies will not prevail. And so now verse 14 I have held my peace a long time. I have been still and restrained myself. Now I will cry like a woman in labor. I will pant and gasp at once. Verse 15. I will lay waste the mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will make the rivers coastlands. I will dry up the pools. I will bring the blind by the way they did not know. I will lead them in the paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked places straight these things i will do for them and not forsake them so now he's talking about his people the obstacles are going to be removed by the unfailing servant and if it, by the time the jews are released from babylon they'll appreciate that god's going to make a way for them but this is far more reaching than just those coming back to judah after 70 years of captivity. <clears throat> and in verse 10 of Isaiah 42, sing to the Lord a new song and his praise from the ends of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you coastlands and you inhabitants of them. And so again, this section is a, is an outburst of joy that God is going to act on behalf of his people, he's declaring his methods of grace. He has been restrained, but never has he been indifferent. And I think it's a vital part of, of your theology to understand, you know, why is there suffering? Why is there misery? Why is there death and wars and all these horrible things? God is not indifferent to these things. If he were, there would be no judgment, because he wouldn't care. But he is restrained and his restraint is often a misunderstood method of his grace. You don't we don't know what God is. What's he supposed to do? Print out a newsletter for every, you know, every day to tell you what's going on globally with people and how things work? God doesn't like the situation either, but he's going to see it through and he makes that clear to us. He created man in his own image, a free-thinking individual And he will populate eternity with people who love him sight unseen, by faith. And nothing's going to stop that. And so he restrains himself until he reaches that point where he says, okay, it's time to act. I've held my peace law a long time, he says here in verse 14. I've held my peace a long time. I've been still and restrained. I've restrained myself. but That's going to end. Just not yet. Even when the rapture comes, it will still be not yet in its final uh, fulfillment. The time comes when God can do no more to to restrain, or the time comes when it is not necessary to restrain because it won't change anything. It's pointless. And then he acts. One of the great lessons from Sodom and Gomorrah is God restrained himself for However, how long, many decades or centuries, Sodom was festering. And he goes to Abraham and he says, I want this on record. That's why we have the story of him dialoguing with Abraham over Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Abraham's not more merciful than God. But God wanted to put, put this out in the open. I want to reach the people in Sodom and Gomorrah, but they are irretrievable. I've restrained myself long enough, and now I'm going to act. However, if there is anybody there that's willing to come out, then I will spare them. And that's precisely what happened. Well, there weren't many. Four. And uh, actually, Lot gives us an example of a Christian who lives in the midst of a decadent culture and lost his thrust. So that when he tells the truth, they laugh at him. They don't take him seriously. He shouldn't have been there in the first place, but he was there. And the Bible says Lot was a righteous man. But he made mistakes. And they're recorded. And we know Christians that live like Lot. They live too close to where they should never have gone. Anyway, uh, God, he will act. Verse 17, they shall... Be turned back, they shall be greatly ashamed, who trust in carved images, who say to the molded images, you are our gods. It always comes back to God's relationship with man and truth about God and lies about everything else. Always. Before I became a Christian, one of the arguments that I presented was, Do you think God really just, you know, wants us to be so into him? Yeah. Why not? What's better? If you know who God is, you want to be into God. And, of course, the person that I said that to had no verbal answer. They just looked at me, and that look of love, like you poor, pathetic thing. And just let God take it from there, and and, and here I am. Verse 17, uh, again, uh, they shall be turned back. It comes down. This is an abrupt contrast between God delivering his people in grace, taking them out of darkness, removing the obstacles, the pools, the rivers, and things. And then he comes back to what every generation of the Jews, of of the righteous, have had to deal with, and that is idolatry. Cain made religion. We'll come back to Cain, because there's a lot more to say about him. And, uh, And until even this day, idol lovers remain. And they increase in shameless behavior. It's only shameless because God says it's shameless. Paul says, I wouldn't have known sin until God pointed out, like I thought covetousness would have been fine with me till God said, thou shalt not covet. And well, what's the consequence of coveting? Taking what belongs to another that is not rightfully yours. And it starts with a thought. And then it ends up in an action. And it may not happen every day. It doesn't have to. It happens enough. So in contrast to the unfailing servant of verses 1 through 16, now verse 17 here, he's beginning to introduce the servant that is disobedient, that does fail in their religion. Now comes failed religion. Speaking of Israel's routine rejection of their God. And uh, it is, you know, with some people, it's just routine to disrespect God. Verse 18, Hear you deaf and look, you blind, that you may see. Well, that's right to the point. Uh, (laughs) So, again, verses 18 now through 25, this is Israel. We'll we'll name him in verse 19, uh, who is blind but my servant. Not talking about the righteous servant of the previous uh, verses. This is the nation of Israel who were repeatedly chastened over centuries by multiple prophets for their aberrant spiritual behavior, their failed religion. And here are four voices of the Hebrew prophets targeting the recidivism, the repeated drift to wrong or stampede to wrong. Uh, It's a good word, recidivism. I don't want to be guilty of it. Uh, It is, you know, that... it essentially is repeating poor behavior, willfully. Isaiah chapter 1, the ox knows its own of the donkey, its master's crib, but Israel does not know, my people do not consider, God is saying, you know, some things, uh, you're dumb as an ox, or an, actually dumber. The ox can figure it out. That's what I, the language Isaiah is using in his attempt to appeal to his generation. What's wrong with you people? Oxes know where they belong. How come you don't know where you belong? Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evil doers, children who are corruptors. Pause there. You say, oh, that's pretty mean. Is it true? Is it true? Is that culture that he lived in a sinful nation? Yeah, because they had the idols, the false religions, a people laden with iniquity. And he lays it out, what they were doing to the poor people, what they were doing to people who they could take advantage of idolatry brings immorality every time he continues brood of evil doers this this nest of evil doers children who are corruptors they have forsaken yahweh they have provoked to anger the holy one of israel they have turned away backward and yet isaiah goes on to try to reach them these from chapter 40 to, to, to 66 he's trying to undo that corruption there are There are armies in the world, such as, let's just say, the Sudanese army. They can't grow. It's impossible. Because the corruption is so thick, any assistance given to them will be taken away by the corrupt politicians and their own people. Uh, You give them fuel, they'll sell it. The corruption, and they're not the only country. There are many countries like this. One of the I've been talking about China these last few, uh, communist China these last few weeks. The corruption. Why the city is falling apart. Why the water won't drain from the city. Why, why do they have fake fire hydrants? The corruption. So corruption is a big thing. It hurts people. And Jeremiah rings in, he says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can't, that can hold no water. And any water they hold, it's stagnant anyway. So they've, they've opted out of the flowing springs of God. Jesus said, He who believes in me as the scriptures have said, out of him will flow living water. You're tying that in. That's a dynamic link to Jeremiah, who came along 500 years before Christ was born. But Christ has always been. He is the Yahweh of the Old Testament. He knows everything Jeremiah said because he's the author and finisher of our faith. And so there Jeremiah says, you've chucked God for these statues. You've given up the the springs for these broken cisterns that can't hold water. They're not wells. They're puddles. And you don't even do a good job at that. Hosea rings in. My people are bent on backsliding from me, though they call to the Most High. None of them exalt Him. Well, no fox, no no atheists in foxholes. People, I don't believe in God. Yeah, well, when those when that artillery starts landing around you, you are calling on God, and that's what uh, Hosea is saying. My people, they're determined to be sinful. It's 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 just you know what do you do with this? Well, if the person has a contrite heart and calls out to God and seeks truth, God will come to them. But if they don't do that, then you're stuck. If you start using your experiences in life to define God, you've just made for yourself an idol. Instead of receiving the revelation of God and making fresh experiences. Micah rings in, Micah, he says, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? And How have I wearied you? Testify against me. Tell me, what what is it about me that you don't like, that you love about the idols? Well, God knows. The idols let you do whatever you want. After all, you made them. You want to do a certain sin? Make a God that honors that sin. The Greeks were notorious. They had a God for for drunks. Speaking of which, uh, Micah 2.11, he says, You know, you people would make a man who preached on drinking alcohol, a pastor. I should read that, lest you don't believe me or question my interpretation, which I know you would never do. It's not possible. Uh, where we are, a two. We have a. Any of you watch Adam twelve? <laughs> we have a two eleven in progress here. Micah two eleven. If a, if a man should. Walk in a false spirit and speak a lie, saying, I will prophesy to you of wine and drink. Even he would be a prophet of this people. What kind of society of that? Well, we have it here. They have their little multicolored flags, and they want to have churches still, and they want to be part of Christendom. That's leaven. That's toxic. You have an Agent Orange in your salad. What about the New Testament church? Is she more faithful than ancient Israel? Well, listen to this verse and you decide. Second Timothy chapter 4 from the New Testament. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to Fables. These are churchgoers he's talking to. He's not talking about idolaters outside of Christendom. He's talking to people who have lined up with Christians. And he's saying they're going to shop for the pastors they want. And the pastors are going to receive them. Uh, All that to suppress the truth. Why bother with religion? Because man is incurably religious. And the atheist needs to know he is religious too. We'll come back to that. But apostate Christianity is apostate Christianity trying to outdo apostate Israel? I think it is trying to catch up and not pass. It already has. And no surprise. The woman who rides the beast in in Revelation seventeen eighteen that is apostate Christendom. It's not only the Roman Catholic Church. There will be elements of all the churches that will join in on, on that. But the true righteous will be gone, and new ones will be born again and slain. Israel's failure to hear and to see is a big deal to God, and that's why he puts it in print there in verse nine, uh, uh, 7, uh, 18 and 19. Their inability to hear what God is saying and see what he is doing is a big deal to God and it should be a big deal to us. They're blind to their own sins and deaf to the voice of God and defiant. as the cherry on top. It is a crippling disability, even in churches. People are so uptight and get their feelings hurt and they, they major in the minors and miss the mission. And the devil plays them like a fiddle. And hopefully, if, if you've left a good church because of some little penny, petty thing and you're in another good church, hopefully you've learned your lesson. I sometimes think when, when people leave a church under petty conditions, that the angels want to say to them as they're leaving the church, get back in there. You can't retreat. But they don't. It's not their role. We're to be led by the Spirit of God. And when your feelings start running the ship, you're going to be shipwrecked. Uh, The world has a saying for that, the tail wagging the dog. You know how happy that tail is? (laughs) Well, it is not good if it takes control of the dog. But much of Israel was not having any of this in Isaiah's day until this day and beyond. And same it is with the church. Not going to hear this. Stuff about apostasy and idols and listening to God's word. They've baked God's word out of the church in many places. Failed religion is expressed, again, in idolatry and immorality. When, you know, the Mormons. I remember years ago I was on a flight, and it, I, the person in front of me was a loudmouth man, and I could hear every word he was saying to the man next to him, and uh, he said, well, you know, one day if I ever become religious, I'm going to be a Mormon. Because, you know, they're just nice people. I don't dispute that many of them are nice people, but they're wrong people when it comes to God. And you can be nice as you want. What does it profit a man if, if, if he gains the world loses his soul? It's not about being nice. It's about being right. Right with God. Which should produce this niceness. Anyway, is it nice to the, you know, ten wives that the guy's got and the kids that come out of that? Esau would have been a good neighbor to have. As Esau, we never read about the God of Esau. Esau was, as men, natural men go, was a good guy. I've met many people that have n- do not know Christ, did not know Christ, and were really nice people. And I met many Christians as, equally as nice and some not so nice. This is reality. This is sin. This is the war that we are engaged in. And trying to put a bow on everything that's a lie is the wrong way to go. What is important to God, not what is important to me. And if you put those nice people with the wrong God under pressure, you're going to have problems that you didn't see coming. Well, it's sort of like a person with an accent. You know, if they live in a different place long enough, they may lose that accent until you excite them. Until you either get them angry or get them too happy. And that accent comes back out. That's what's in there. And uh, on a negative way, uh, a person who may be polite and decent, if they have not the rule of God in their heart, you put them under enough pressure. Some of you may have heard of the... the, um, the Essex, the the I think it was out of Canada. Was, I don't remember if it was British or Canadian. Uh, anyway, the ship suffered sh- uh, ship, shipwreck, and the survivors were in lifeboats, and they ate it. E- they didn't eat each other because that would be impossible. But they did eat those who died and those who were dying. <laughs> you know what? He's almost gone. Clunk. Uh, and so you can look that up. A terrible story. I'm sure those were nice guys. They went on to survivors. There were a few survivors. They went on to be neighbors, good neighbors from what I understand. But, um, you know, it's just like, man, that just illustrates a great big truth. Well, let's come back to this. Verse 19, Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger, whom I send? Who is blind as he who is perfect, and blind as Yahweh's servant? So now this is God's national servant Israel in stark contrast to the Messianic servant of the uh, first 17 uh, verses. Israel was supposed to serve Yahweh. Instead, they tried to reshape and rebrand him. Leviticus chapter 25. This is from the quill of Moses. For the children of Israel are servants to me, they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh your God. Unparalleled distinction. No one else has this distinction. Of all the peoples of the earth. It is a higher and better standard that they were called to. And thus the law. Their wardrobe. Uh, the men weren't to wear women's clothing. And the women weren't to wear men's clothing. Other peoples of the earth did those kinds of things. Their dietary laws, the the, the law, the moral code, the Ten Commandments. They had many, there were many distinctions made by God. We're supposed to be the same way. Maybe not identical in, in form, but ultimately we are supposed to be a distinct people. How come you don't go to the bar with us? How come you don't do this? How come you don't do that? Those are open doors to preach Christ. And uh, I have found that many of those who do those things, uh, they burn out on them. And at some point wish they never did them. Not all of them. Some of them go to their graves happy sinners. And that's a fact. Anyway, uh, where it says, who is blind... As he who is perfect. Now, that could be sarcasm, but I I rather think it means that they were prepared, and I'll tell you why. I'll give you a scripture reference why I think that. They were prepared for the work that they failed to do. And the church, she is perfect too. She has everything without spot or wrinkle, Christ says about the church. She has everything she needs to do her job in the midst of a fallen world, which really irks Satan when the church does do their job, because we are, to Satan, a bunch of misfits, incompetent, carnal, sinful beings. And when we turn the other cheek and we plow forward and we preach Christ, hell has no remedy, especially when we die at the stake. There's nothing hell can do against that stuff. Israel did serve the Lord in the beginning, As his instrument of judgment on the Canaanites. But they didn't endure. They did not persevere. They failed to be his servants as instruments of light to the Gentiles. They have churches like this. We have churches that, you know, if you're not one of us, you're not saved. We're not giving you communion. You have to be a member here to get this. I mean, it's just... I mean, there may be some elements of sanity and particles of this, but overall, the body of Christ is global. There is the universal church, where I can meet a Christian that I've never met before in another state or another country, and instantly there's there's a, a kindred spirit. Then there is the local church, where I invest myself to serve the Lord, the base of operations that... Is so disrespected by so many. It's the body of Christ bought with his blood. Anyway, uh, coming back to verse 19 Israel had the message and was capable of delivering the message, but in time refused to do it. Now, here's what I mentioned why I think he's, what Isaiah is saying this servant is perfect, has all that she needs, as, as opposed to, I don't think he's being sarcastic at this point. Romans chapter 1, Paul, writing to the Christians in Rome, says, What advantage then has the Jew? Or what profit of circumcision? I mean, that standards that are higher and different from everybody else and better? He continues, Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. Why were they perfect servants? They had the word of God. They had revelation from the throne of God, and man did not have to guess anymore about who, about the identity of God. And by the time we get to the New Testament, Jesus' own apostles, Philip, wanted to see more of God. And Christ said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. No difference. So there was no excuse for their failure. And there is none for the church. The church has no excuse for failure. In fact, in times, look at the church of Smyrna. You know, the seven churches of Revelation, the remnant, Smyrna and Philadelphia. Philadelphia thrived without persecution. Smyrna thrived in the midst of persecution. Uh, that, um, that they could pull it off without rebuke is a vital part of our understanding of that the church can succeed. It can do her job. And many churches in history have but the wheel that squeaks the loudest gets the most attention. It just takes a handful of apostates to make it all look bad. But in these end times, it's going to increase. There are going to be more and more apostate churches. And we're seeing it happen right in front of us. It's getting more and more difficult to find a church that believes that the Bible is inerrant. That the Holy Spirit fills his people. That sin is actually uh, something God hates but there's always going to be a remnant too and I hope we are all part of that remnant verse 20 seeing many things but you do not observe opening the ears but he does not hear well in the New Testament Paul said it this way always learning never coming into the knowledge and there are those that are going to bible study at the bible study listen after, and they never get it they're still not you know, they're just still not getting it and there are others that are going to the bible studies and they are getting it and I don't know, what I think it comes down to motivation. What is your motivation? Is it to actually be a vessel of the Lord, or is it to one-up everybody else? Is it to demonstrate that, you know, you are the teacher? Because if that is your motive, it's going to be a disaster, and you'll take out other people with you. We want to be strong so that we can lift people up and not shove them down. That is one of the goals and the beauty of Christianity. Um, you come to that very quickly with an honest reading of the Scripture. I don't know how you can have an honest reading of the Scripture and come away arrogant. Uh, how, do you, how do you then reconcile when you have the, the, the Pharisee, Lord, I pray every day, I fast, look at me. You impressed yet? And then you have the tax collector and says, Lord, I can't even look at you, I'm such a train wreck. I can't even look at you, forgive me. And Jesus says, that's the one. He's the righteous one. So, yeah, you won't have an excuse. Christian, bad Christianity has no excuse. They can't say, the world put a gun to my head. They cannot blame the universities. They cannot blame the, the, the culture, the entertainment world. They have no one to blame. And that's why they're going to be dealt with. So, and even the world can't stand a rotten church and that's why the Antichrist tramples the beast, kills the beast, slaughters the beast. He, he hates the beast. Uh, even the world hates hypocrisy, unless it's they're doing it, of course. Double standard, right? But well, who, who wants a church that is rotten uh, when it comes to their own articles? Uh, verse 20, uh, well, I, I read that already, did I not? Anyway, in this condition, seeing many things, but you do not observe, uh, opening the ears, but he does not hear. In that condition, there's no way Israel or the church can be used effectively by God. What can God do to someone who is willfully blind and willfully deaf, who will not see what God wants to show them, who will not hear what God wants to say? And that's why the Bible is outside of many churches, or they cherry-pick verses. They'll only preach the verses they like, the happy ones. They, they think is happy. Thus says the Lord will always be vital to a faithful congregation. Thus says the Lord is paramount. Could you imagine coming to a church that's feeding you God's word? That's where the Holy Spirit works. He takes those verses and he singles us out. Could you imagine going to a church and the pastor says, we don't need to hear from God anymore. Let's... Let's just do this, whatever it is. Man, I would, I would just get up and leave and never look back. Um, but this is happening all over the place. I, I don't know how, how can you stomach this. Is something very wrong here. And how do you reach somebody who thinks that this is acceptable in love and gentleness? How, how do you reach them? Uh, you know, you play good cop, bad cop. <laughs> you know, you, one minute you're screaming at him, you're a blasphemer, and the next minute, listen, God's got to get you out of this. You're a mess. I mean, how do you, how do you fix it? Well, if if we could put it in a bottle, you know, we we wouldn't have any problems. We just go pour out the contents of the bottle, but on the individuals. But it, it's not that way. We're in a serious war with evil. And you can be in a serious war with God. And that's how he's going to end this section, incidentally. He's going to say, you're fighting against me in war, and you're going to lose. Verse 21, Yahweh is well pleased for his righteousness' sake. He will exalt the law and make it honorable. Why does he have to do that? Why don't the people just let the law be honorable? Why does God have to, you know, flex muscles to get the right things done? Well, sin. And if God's people abandon God's law, God will find other people who will adhere to it and uphold it. Romans eleven twenty, speaking of Israel. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. Now, speaking of the church, next clause. And you stand by faith. Yeah, the Jewish people dropped the ball. And now the church is here to be the servant that brings the light. And then Paul will go on. Don't you think? Don't you think for one minute you're better because you get stripped too? God has no respect. He doesn't have double standards. So you got to love where the Scripture goes with these things. Um, The thought of somebody doing what you're supposed to be doing is not a good thought. If if, you know, I've had my moments where you know what? I'm 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 just going to move away from here. A long time ago, like 25 years ago. And just the Lord said, fine, I'll just get somebody. Oh, no, 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 we're not going to have that. You're not going to get somebody else to do my job. Uh, And that's how it should be. Should it not? What if you're in the workplace and you never preach the gospel? And some new guy comes in and starts preaching to everybody. Oh, man, what a rebuke. This is what happened with the old prophet of Bethel. You remember, God sent the prophet from Judah to go into the northern kingdom to preach to Jeroboam. And, point. Oh, you know, so this altar you know, is evil. And he preached. And God said, when you go home, you go straight home. You go a different way. Don't stop at anybody's house. And the old prophet of Bethel heard that God had brought up a man of God to preach the word because he wasn't doing it. And he lies to him. And he gets him killed. Uh... So my point is, the old prophet of Bethel should have been the prophet sent. But God had to bring one up. And then that didn't turn out good. All because of one man who could have made the difference. But he was settled in his lees. Mary of Bethany demonstrated the antidote to apostasy without even trying. She just loved the Lord. She just wanted to be with him. She wanted to hang on every single word he said. Luke chapter 10, this is when her beloved sister Martha, and Martha's a good girl, she's a hard worker, but she's a different animal than Mary. Mary was more sensitive to spiritual things. Uh, You know, Martha was a harder worker, it seems. Mary might object if she were here, right? Uh, Anyway, Luke 10, verse 22, when, when the sister says, hey, tell Mary to get herself in the kitchen and help. Jesus answered her, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Oh man, Martha must have said, why did I open I did it again. I put my foot in my mouth. When am I going to learn to shut up? Anyway, the Lord is talking. Matthew, Mary was sitting at the feet of the Lord, listening to the Bible study. Uh, the word of God is paramount. Verse 22 But this is a people robbed and plundered. All of them are snared in holes and they are hidden in prison houses. They are for prey and no one delivers, for plunder and no one says, Restore. Their disobedience led to their suffering, the humiliation, the harm. Who wants to be on that team? In verse 22, a show of hands. Who wants to be robbed and plundered, snared in holes, can't even get out, hidden in prison houses? What a way to live, pray, and no one delivers. Now, truth is, and Hebrews points this out, there are times that Christians have been, or not only Christians, just the righteous, have been in similar situations because of their righteousness. These are this way because of judgment. As Hosea rings in and says, my people... They perish for lack of knowledge. They're God's people as a race, not as individuals necessarily. Judas Iscariot opted out. He forfeited his status, as many, you know, Caiaphas, you know, many of them forfeited their status. Uh, But others embraced it, such as Isaiah. Verse 23, who among you will give ear to this? Who will listen and hear for time to come? So he challenges the people of his day and every other generation after. Even to this day. The re- religion without Christ is bad religion. That's our view. Now the world has their... View. Other religions say, well, you know, our is better. One of you got to be right. Which one's going to be right? Why am I not a Muslim? Why am I not a Hindu? Because... I've looked at their, heard, and listened to their positions, and it just starts somewhere, but not far back enough. It lacks the spiritual features. It lacks, compared to what I find in the scripture, it's got nothing. It's not not even a second runner-up. There's a reason why I love the Lord. There's a reason why I believe he is, his word is right. And you can trace it back. You can, not only can you trace back the generation to generation, how we got the word. You know, some guy didn't come out of a barn one day with a piece of paper in his hand. God told me this. You better listen or we're going to kill you. That's essentially what some of the other religions are. Or my father's told me. Well, where'd they get it from? It's sort of a religious evolution where it doesn't have any sensible beginning. But you look at Christianity, it has a foundation. And it's got in the middle of all these prophecies, so many of them already fulfilled. So accurate are the prophecies that scoffers come along and say, oh no, they must have added that later. And found out, well, there are other writings that they respect that has those prophecies in it before the events. How do you account for that? There's a reason why we believe that Christianity is the faith that belongs to God and the others are not. Yet, God in his mercy knows those who have... Look, there's somebody... There have been people born in Yemen that have never heard the gospel and died. God will do the right thing with that. I don't know if that person's going to make it to heaven or not, but I do know this. He's going to do the right thing. He does every time. My responsibility as a Christian is to... Preach it like I've been given it. And that's all of our responsibility. If Jesus says, I want you to go into that town, I want you to tell them red shoes are no longer allowed, then that's what I'm going to do. Uh, he doesn't do that, and I'm glad. I like red shoes um, on some people. I like pink shirts, but not on men. It's how it should be. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, I haven't said that in a while. I need to brush up on it. Anyway... Uh, religion without Christ is bad religion. It is cursed. As was the religion of Cain. Which, which, was a prototype for all false religions. We are hated for pointing this out. We are hated for not agreeing that, well, there's something salvageable. Universalism. One of the things, there were several things that irritated Charles Spurgeon in the uh, 1860s and 70s. uh, turn of the century almost. Uh, anyway, uh, that, that uh, there were those that were saying the Bible is flawed and not trustworthy. There were those that were saying that God is the father of everyone. That's universalism. That is not true. Jesus said to the Pharisees who were attacking him, you are of your father, the devil. And that is a pretty clear... Put down of universalism. So what do the universalists do? Well, they want to still be in Christendom and deny that verse. Say, well, we don't believe in that. Somebody added that. Oh, how convenient. Every time you get to a verse in Scripture you don't like, you just say it's not God. You become the creator. That's idolatry. And idolatry, we hear the word all the time, it is the worst sin of all. You shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. Because if you mess that one up, knowingly, then there is really, you've rejected this Holy Spirit. You've blasphemed the Holy Spirit and said, you know, I'm not listening to you. I'm going to do it this way. Cain was neither an atheist or, or should I say, nor a worshiper of a false god. Think about it. He came to the true God. He believed that there is a God but he came his way, not God's way. That's the disconnect, and it was a grand disconnect. He was a false worshiper of the true God. That is bad. Cain, incidentally, was sincere. But in sincerity, sincerity does not make up for disobedience. Saul, you know, Saul tried to do that number. You know, yeah, I've done everything God said to do. Then Samuel said, then how come you know Saul was told, kill all the sheep? Because this is not a looting party you're going on. This is an act of judgment. And I want it very clear that I am not sending my people to pillage. This operation is a judgment. And Saul decides, well, I'm going to keep the good sheep and the good oxen. And he tells his bold face to Samuel... The prophet of God, like Samuel, some sort of dummy that just woke up yesterday or something. And he says to Samuel, um, I've done everything God has told me to do. And Samuel said, really? Then what's the meaning of the bleating of the sheep, the lowing of the oxen? Why do I hear this? And then he says, listen, it is better to obey than to sacrifice. Very powerful point in scripture. Once you read it one time, you've got it forever. Just because somebody is sincere does not mean God accepts them because sincerity does not make up for disobedience. Now, we who love the Lord, we sincerely try to obey and we fail sometimes. There's a big difference. There's a big difference between being sincerely trying to obey and sincere about doing things that are outside of obedience. And that's what Saul did. And that's what Cain did. And that's what... Uh, countless multitudes have been doing through the ages. Verse 24. And some people are irritated by this. I don't don't get that. Why are you disturbed that there's a right way and a wrong? Why are you disturbed? What you're really saying is, I'm at war with God's authority. So is Korah. And I'll come to him in a little bit. Verse 24. Who gave Jacob for plunder and Israel for robbers? Was it not the Lord He uh, against whom we have sinned? For they would not walk in his ways, nor were they obedient to his law. You notice he inserts himself. He says, I'm part of the Jewish race. It's my people. And we are sinning as a people. But he wasn't guilty of what they were guilty of. Not the idolaters. God is blameless and he's no pushover. This judgment that they have, it's not like, God, you're meanie pants. And on the other side, it's like, hey, we can do anything and get away with it. No, you can't. You just may buy time. Their suffering was neither random nor was it common. And no people on earth have ever suffered collectively through the ages as the Jewish people. People have had their moments of misery. Nobody's come close to what the Jews have gone through. And God is saying through the prophet, the judgments you incur are judgments because of your iniquity. They're not random. They're like, oh, what's happening to us? God promised the opposite if you would obey. But failed religion is man's version of life, man's version of god. Cain, Balaam and Korah are the poster boys for this. Jude Jude verse 11, woe to them. He's dealing with he's talking about uh, people who come into church against authority. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. They defied God when they divide God, defied God's authority on earth. Korah, he's the one that said, you know, Abra- uh, Moses, Moses, you and your brother Aaron, you, th- you think you're the answer? You think that, you know, you're it? None of us are righteous? And he started this rebellion. It came to a conclusion when the ground that Korah was standing on opened up a sinkhole and swallowed him, and 250 people just swallowed them up. Uh, And everybody that was watching said, ooh, (laughs) that was the end of that rebellion. And so Jude says, yeah, it might have been the end of that rebellion for that guy, but we've seen this over and over, and I'm just going to let you know, it's just as dastardly now as it was then. They thought Balaam, who was greedy for money, prosperity teachers, Cain, who just wanted to do religion his way, They thought half religion was somehow acceptable to a pure God. They thought that truth was, you know, debatable. There are no absolutes. Uh, You know, mathematics teaches us that 2 plus 2 is 4, and there are no exceptions. And everybody's fine with that. Just can't do that with God. Well, this... um, This appeals to mankind since sin entered humanity, this rebellious spirit. As I'm speaking right now, there are untold multitudes just milling around, doing people things, in a state of failed religion. And we try to reach them, we try to preach to them, failed religion. And again, the atheists and the agnostic are no exception. They are every bit religious because religion is your system of belief. However small or large, it is your system. And if the atheist wants to, you know, uh, reduce it to, well, I just don't believe in God. Well, you just got yourself a religion. Uh, no, it's not because you think you think lighting candles, wearing robes qualifies as religion. God says no. The definition is bigger than that. So, uh, listen to this. Someone, I don't know the name of this man, this pastor. Uh, I have it written down somewhere, but not here. One who claims to be a skeptic of one set of beliefs is actually a true believer in another set of beliefs. <laughs> that's the truth. If you say, I don't believe that, well, you must believe something else. And if you believe anything, what does that say about you? I think it's uh, Chesterkin that's, uh, Chesterton that said... uh, uh if you, if you don't believe in something, you'll soon believe in anything. Uh, anyway, Romans chapter 1. This is God pulling the rug from under their feet. For since the creation of this world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I don't know, maybe there is one, but I've never met a child who has a problem believing God. Maybe as they get older... And the influences and indoctrinations and things come on, them, cake up on them. But as a child, I have never, maybe you have, uh, per, you know, perhaps a child that's been abused would be an exception. But overall, there are some evils that have to be taught. And uh, man seems to have a ready classroom with him when he finds somebody who believes in the truth. And that classroom is designed to mix you up. And that's why we have children going off to universities as believers in Christ and coming out anti-Christ. I would like to be waiting for them at the front door when they come out that university classroom. Oh, I used to believe in. Pow! What do you believe? Okay, okay. I mean, you just sometimes want to get a pass from the Lord. Lord, just this one time, can I cut this guy off just this once? I won't harm anything. No, you can't. How about I slap you in the head? All right, anyway. Verse 25. I mean, am I the only one that ever has feelings like this? It's just all of you are busy busy praying when we drive for you because you're so messed up. Verse 25. Therefore, he has poured on him the fury of his anger and the strength of battle. It has set him on fire all around, yet he did not know, and it burned him. Yet he did not take it to heart. And so there's the summary. God appealing to backsliders who become apostates to not become apostates and backsliders and apostates. Proverbs 6.27, he tries to reason. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Yeah, I guess if he believes in magic, I mean, it won't happen. You can believe in magic that won't make physics go away. Anyway, can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? Well, you, you remember Burger King tried that? <laughs> and the feet were charcoal broiled. You, any you remember they had this big seminar for the Burger King executives and they walked on hot coals and many of them ended up in the ER? Not funny, but, you know, the irony of selling charcoal burgers and feet. Anyhow, This part here where he says the strength... Let's go back to the first clause. Therefore, he has poured on him the fury of his anger and the strength of battle. In other words, God is saying, you want to war with me? Okay, we'll we'll go to war against each other. Who's going to win? And it burned him. Yet he did not take it to heart. What do I have to do to reach you? Anti-Jesus rhetoric costs... It costs the individual... Who mouths off against Christ. There are other laws, and there are consequences. There are spiritual laws. First Timothy again, chapter four. This is first Timothy. Last one was second Timothy. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. A person can get to the point where you can't even you can't shake their morality. Your their immorality is so taken over. They can lie to you as though it was law. They can steal from you without blinking or regret. They can harm and ruin your life. Look at the news media. They ruin lives. They don't care. They just go on to the next story. You're just part of the story. If ever I get interviewed again by somebody news, I'm going to say, what nitwit would talk to a journalist? Be gone, you demon. (laughs) Uh, I mean, it just, I'm, I'm sure they're, No, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm just sad. Anyway, as with the outlaw on the cross, hanging just a few feet from Christ, the creator of the universe, he blew it. It was his choice. The other one, he made the right choice. So he gets before, after he leaves this life, he stands before God, and he says, well, how was I supposed to know? God will say, the other guy got it. Heard the same thing you heard. Whose fault is that? Well, may we be able to communicate the severity of these things. One last thing. You know, we have loved ones uh, who we have to disfellowship, but not disown. You you know, that fellowship can be broken with a loved one in the family, but we don't disown them. We look for a God. You know, God did not disown the Jews. He will never disown them. He has broken fellowship with them. The church is now taking the light to the world. But he's still trying to reach Jewish people. And, uh, you know, it, it ain't over till it's over. And until that point, we hope that we can maintain, if, if allowed. Sometimes the civility gets so bad, uh, it's, it, it, you can't do anymore. You just have to disfellowship and disassociate completely. But disowning, we in our heart, we don't do that. We will pray for our enemies. Well, we're going to pray for loved ones, even if they belong to, you know, this diabolically dumb generation that we live in. We still love them. We still want to see them saved. And we will still battle on, on their behalf. And I'll finish with this. i got 20 minutes. No, I don't. Uh, the, this is illustrated for us when Abraham went to get Lot ketel had come with his confederation of armies and they had taken the people of Sodom and Gomorrah away. And Abraham probably said to himself, it figures. Lot is just always a loser. I don't think he said that, but he could have said that because there's elements of truth in it. What does he do? He puts together his army and he goes and gets Lot. That is to me an illustration of having a loved one that has been taken prisoner by Satan. And I'm going to go get them. But I can't get them with the sword. Because the weapons of my warfare are not carnal. But spiritual. Mighty in God. For casting down arguments. And everything that exalts itself against God. I can pray for them. And there's only one source in the universe. Against my praying. For someone who's lost. And that is hell. That is Satan. Satan. Well, I'm going to do the opposite of what he wants all the time if I can. So understand, Isaiah, all the prophets, they're condemning sin, but they're appealing to the loss all the time. And that's why uh, we love them so much, because God God reached down and got us. Well, let's pray. Our Father, um, your word, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path in this life and the life to come. It is physical and it is spiritual, and we love it all. We thank you that you have not abandoned us, but that you invite sinners to share in the same eternity that you have, to be filled with your Holy Spirit. May you get us all home safely tonight. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.